All right, Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Let's preach a little bit tonight. Part two of the stupid decision of a starving son. Now, I got to say this. If my son was in here, I probably wouldn't say the word stupid as freely as I'm saying it. Just, just so you know, um, I, 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 uh, I have been designated the interim youth speaker on Wednesday nights when Brother Paul leaves. And so I'll do that through the remainder of the school year. And I just want you parents to know, I won't, I won't use the word stupid quite as freely as I use it with grown adults, okay? Um, but my son's not in here. You know, we don't like my son saying this word. But I, he's not in here, so it's okay. And he doesn't listen to the podcast for sure. So we, sh- we should be safe. All right, let me, let me bring you to speed on what was going on. Who wasn't here, who wasn't here last week, all right? Because you're scared of the ice or whatever. Okay, very good. Bless your heart. Um... Here's what happened. I, I introduced this story of Esau and Jacob. They were fraternal twins, which meant that they were born just moments apart, but they didn't look that much alike. In fact, Esau was hairy, Jacob was smooth-skinned. Esau was a daddy's boy, Jacob was a mama's boy. Esau liked to kill things, Jacob liked to cook things, which meant that Esau wore camo and Jacob wore a apron. Very good. So they were, they were different from one another um, and then we, we made the point about Esau, he was really good at hunting, which the implication in there, and we can't miss this, is that he grew in his outward skills, talents, and abilities, but he didn't grow on the inside. And that's proven in the story that he got older, but he didn't grow wiser. And the truth is, some of God's people can be the most talented, skilled people in all of the world on the outside, but have no character on the inside. And we got care- to be careful that as we're growing Uh, in our careers, as we're growing financially, as we're growing in our talents and abilities, or whatever the case might be, we got to make sure we don't leave our character behind. Inside out is the way God wants to grow us and transform us. And that caught up to Esau because he went out to the field to hunt, came back, wore out from a long day, was what I called hangry, and Jacob knew exactly when to approach him. And he did. And he offered him a bowl of beans, And Esau was so hungry that he was willing to satisfy that appetite with something that he wouldn't normally even think twice about if he was full. And and so so one of the ways that we can keep from making the same mistake that Esau made, and we talked about it last Wednesday, was this. Stay full. Because unsatisfied appetites lead to exaggerated emotions. Esau said, I'm at the point to die. No, he was just hungry, and he was tired, and it was like my eight-year-old son, who had to eat supper, three, three hours later at nine o'clock at night, says, I'm starving to death. Is he really going to die? No, he's exaggerated because he has an unsatisfied appetite, and so that's where Esau found himself. Exaggerated emotions. Well, what do exaggerated emotions do to our decision-making? They, it's, it fogs our discernment. It lessens our, our judgment. It's like, it's, like, it's like driving through the fog. I, I, we, it's very, very difficult to make good decisions when our emotions are exaggerated. Our emotions become exaggerated when our, when our appetites aren't satisfied. So you've got to stay full. Stay full of what? The Word of God, the work of God, the people of God, and many other things. The Bible says if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. In other words, when you eat at God's table and you do it on a regular basis, you won't be hungry for what the world has to offer. Right? You satisfy your appetite through the day, 
you won't make late night run late night runs to the world's refrigerator. Yeah. Here's the second thing tonight. Part two. Beware of the bull. Don't just stay full, but beware of the bull because you'll be tempted to give up what you want most for what you want right now. Now, I, I got a short video I want you to watch by way of introducing the second part of this sermon, and maybe you've seen it. It's called the marshmallow test. You heard of it? So some of you have never heard of it. Some of you might have seen it. But, but it's, it's, it's a really great demonstration of how we can be so tempted to give up what we want most in the long run for something we want right in the moment. All right? Brother Rob, it should be set on video. Hit it, maestro. Maestro Tammy. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really It's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs>
Did you hear the, the adult lady? She said, you can have it now or you can wait. And the thing that we don't outgrow is how painful it is to wait for what we want most. Every one of us could sit in there with a marshmallow on the plate and it'd be just fine. But how many know that the temptation gets a lot greater than a marshmallow? It does. But as we look at the story, it, it almost seems like it's a marshmallow that Esau is willing to give up his birthright for. I, I want you to look at your Bible at verse number 26. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. Uh, rather, skip down to verse 29, would you? And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Thy birthright. So we know Esau came back in from the field. He's hungry. All he wanted was a meal. But Jacob said, if you want a meal, then we're going to make a deal. And so I've got your favorite red pottage. And I will give you a bowl of this red pottage I've cooked just for you, big brother, if you'll give me your birthright. Let's review what the birthright was and what the significance of it was. Three reasons primarily, two physical, one spiritual. Here's the first significance of the birthright. It, was, it meant that Esau would have gotten a large, put that up there, Tim, a large portion of the inheritance. So upon his father's death, it meant that Esau would have been given. He didn't earn it. He was just the first one to come out. He was the oldest. He would have earned two-thirds of his dad's inheritance, his land, and his wealth. The second physical asset would be this. It recognized him as the head of the household. If his dad died, Esau's the boss. He's the spiritual leader of the home. But the greatest spiritual significance was this. It placed him in the line of God's chosen people. More specifically, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, would come through Esau's side of the family. I don't have to stress the, the fact that the birthright was of great significance. I mean, this thing was valuable, but because Esau had an unsatisfied appetite, he was willing to satisfy that appetite with anything, even if it meant giving up something as valuable as a birthright. And that's exactly what he did. Look at verse number 32. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Now, it's incredibly sad that Esau would trade his birthright in the first place, but here's what makes it really sad, what he traded his birthright for. It, it makes me think of, of baseball, especially when it comes to around the trade deadline in, in baseball. I, I really like following kind of the business side of baseball as much as I like following the, the actual games because it's fun as that deadline approaches to watch teams 
you know, get what players and all, all, you know, these, they want this player and they get turned down there. So they go to this player and they put together these trade packages. And what's really great is when they sign these big names to then evaluate and watch how those big names take them to the postseason and hopefully to the World Series. Sometimes the trade works out really good and sometimes the trade doesn't work out good at all. And, and, and in the history of baseball, probably the worst trade that's ever happened was a trade that would be later called the Curse of the Bambino. You know that guy? It, it was a superstition evolved that from a failure of the Boston Red Sox to win a World Series for 86 years. They were unsuccessful from 1918 to 2004. And here's how it all started. When the Red Sox sold their star player, Babe Ruth, who's called the Bambino, to the New York Yankees in the offseason of 1912. Before they sold Babe Ruth, the Red Sox had been one of the most successful baseball franchises. They won the first World Series, they say, and a total of five up to the point of selling Babe Ruth. But after they sold them, they went into a drought of 86 years of not winning a World Series. However, the Yankees, who got uh, Babe Ruth, went on to dominate the World Series for maybe the next 20 years or so. Now, you talk about a terrible trade. Yet the worst part about the trade is what they traded for. They say that, that, that the Red Sox traded away Babe Ruth for approximately $100,000 alone to finance a musical that they were on the hook for titled My Lady Friends. There's only one word for that. What do you think it is? Stupid. Some of you don't think that's a cuss word. Bless you. The rest of you polish your halos. It's a stupid trade. Again, it was sad enough that Esau traded his birthright, but what makes it so sad is what he traded it you know what he traded it for? A bowl of beans. You can call it pottage, you can call it lentils, you can call it stew. It's beans. It tasted good. The timing was just right. But it was merely a bowl of beans. Now, now let's think about this. A lot of great things can be placed inside a bowl. I mean, especially when we're talking about food. All right? So let's interact tonight. Would you do that? What's your favorite food to put in a bowl? Well, not everybody at once. You got to raise your hand, kids. Wow. You got to raise your hand. Yes. Ice cream. What kind of ice cream? Vanilla bean. You put any syrup on that or anything? Huh. Do you reach a certain age where that becomes appealing? Because I got to have chocolate on it. I, I need to grow up. Okay, all right, I believe you. <laughs> Sheila. Death by chocolate ice cream. With hot fudge on it. Beth. Cereal. Let's talk about that for a second. Frosted mini wheats, really. Okay, I'll talk about that here in just a second. The best cereal to put in a bowl is by far... It's really not even debatable, in my opinion, and that's Captain Crunch Berries. It's the best to put in a bowl. Absolutely. Um, number two, we're still talking about cereal. I'll get to you in just a second, Brother Bill. Number two is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's 
it's also very, very good. Um, number 276 is Frosted Mini Wheats. Those are like miniature hay bales. Dessert for cows, and mothers expect their children to eat them. Number three is strawberry Pop-Tarts and small pieces in a bowl of milk. I mean, it's solid if you ever run out of cereal, but I like cereal. Brother Bill, what were you going to say? Raisin brand with two scoops of what? Oat. Oh, two scoop raisin bran. Do you have to be to a certain age before you start liking that? Or? 31 is when it hit? I'm there. I just, not there. Yes, Cammie. Chili. With beans. Very good. Very good. You know, Pastor, you know his favorite kind of chili? Wolf brand chili, he just pours it in a bowl. Are you, are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. Brother Monty, this will be the last one because we're getting carried away. Ham and beans and Corbett, can I get an amen from God's people? Oh, now we got the Baptist clapping. Unbelievable. If all I knew is that easy, I talk about food all the time. Listen, all kinds of good things you put in a bowl. In Jacob's bowl, there was simply beans. At best, you could call it stew. It's like this. It's like me getting so hungry that I'm willing to trade my wedding ring, what signifies my undying, unending love for my wife, for a cheeseburger. You understand? That, that is, that's a good comparison. We're talking a birthright. Two-thirds of the inheritance. The future head of the household. Jesus would come through your side of the family. And you're willing to give it up for a bowl of beans. And I've seen politicians do this. We've read about them. It's like they were rising stars in the political world and then a scandal happens. And you look at them, maybe it's a marital affair. Maybe it's something in a yearbook. <laughs> maybe it's something that they did, I don't know. Sometimes it's blown out of proportion, sometimes it's fair and it's not. But at the end of the day, they gave up a promising career for something they wanted in the moment. And we, we look in, into our TVs or we read our screens on our phone and we just shake our head. What are they thinking? I knew a pastor growing up. He pastored a large church. It wasn't large when, whenever he became the pastor, but God used him to take it that way. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal preacher of the word of God. Sought after to preach youth conferences and youth camps all over the place, preached in our church several times. My dad preached for him. Uh, I, I sang at his church. It just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, man of God who was being used by God all across the country. And then we get a call that he's resigning because he's had a marital affair. And I'm not rejoicing over that. And I'm not putting that down or pouring salt in the wound of such a case, here's what I'm saying. That even pastors are willing to give up a ministry, a calling, for something they want in the moment. And let's just, let's just pause right now and recognize this. We are prone to do the same things. 
There's not one of us in here that are above this. I told you Esau and Jacob weren't teenagers. Commentators have put together timelines. And in between the time they were born and the time they grew to this point, they say they were at least in their 60s. Nobody has outgrown the propensity to give what, what you want most for what you want in the moment. To give into the temporal and give up the eternal. We trade our birthright for a bull. And you might say, I don't have a birthright. That's Old Testament stuff. No, actually, if you're saved, you have access to a very important birthright. Be turning to Romans chapter 8. Turn there in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. You can look on the screen. We're going to turn several places here in just a moment. In the gospel, when you accept the gospel, you're called to Jesus Christ, and you're in Christ, and when you're in Christ, you are granted access to all the Father's blessings. You become part of the family. You are a joint heir, Paul says. Look at the verse. And if children, if you're a child of God, then you're an heir. Heirs of who? Heirs of God the Father. And joint heirs with Christ. Christ is Christ the Son. You are a full partaker. You are joint heirs with all the blessings that Jesus gets from God. You get as one of his children. In fact, the, uh, the Apostle John writes in, I think in 1st or 2nd John, and he calls us the sons of God. We are in the family. And you're not like on the fringe looking in. You are in the house. You've got a room. You've got a bed. You've got a spot at the table. You've got amazing spiritual blessings just because you received Jesus Christ by faith. You might not have a birthright like, like Esau had in the sense of physical assets, but listen, you and I have so many spiritual privileges and spiritual blessings when we entered into the family of God. And if we're not careful, here's what we'll do. We'll trade those blessings in for something of far less value. And here's why. Get this. Get this statement. For every blessing God has given you, the devil has a bowl. Let that sink in. Now we're making contemporary significance. We're taking the world of the Bible and we're bridging it to the world of today. This is the part that a lot of Christians check out on. They love talking about history, but when history applies to their life, it's like, ooh. That stings a little, and it will. But this is great stuff. So follow me here. For every blessing God has given you, the devil has a bull. We could talk about all kinds of spiritual blessings that you've inherited from the Lord but let's just start here. Let's just talk about the direct blessings, birthrights, if you want to call them that, inheritances that, that you received from the Holy Spirit. You understand, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit entered into you. The, the, the third person of the Godhead, God the Spirit, that is God in you. He resides in you. He comforts you. He guides you. He leads you. He convicts you. That's God in you. But there's some positive things that you got Upon receiving the Holy Spirit, don't miss this, you received peace. Turn to John 14. Turn there in your Bible. We're going to turn some places. This won't be on the screen because I want us to turn to these in our Bible or on your device, whichever you brought. John chapter 14. I want you to look at verse 26. Okay? And then, uh, Brother Steve Estala, will you look up Romans 5.13? Will you do that? Um, Brother Brady, will you look up Matthew 5.16? Brother Gary Dunham, will you look up Romans 12, verse 4 and 8? Brother Bill Mills, will you look up Psalms 90 and verse 12? Uh, Brother John, will you look up 1 Corinthians 12, 
20 and 27? Brother John Knudsen, will you look up Proverbs 18, verse 22? We're going to look at all these, okay? You guys remember when Brother Landis used to do this? Those that were hearing brothers, he used to call people all the time. I love it. We're going, we're going old school. John 14, look at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, you got a free installment of peace upon accepting Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit came to reside in you, and the Holy Spirit comforts. And he gives peace. But for every blessing, the devil has a bull. And so when the devil sees that you have God-given peace, he holds out a bull of worry. And he says, you can have some worry today. And what do we do so often? We wake up and we eat out of the worry bowl. And we go to work and we eat out of the worry bowl. And we come home at night and we eat out of the worry bowl. We have a midnight snack out of the worry bowl and our stomach starts hurting. It's a lot of beans. And anxiety and stress causes, it, causes our, our stomach to be in knots. Gives us indigestion, heartburn, and, and shortness of breath and all these other kind of things that worry does. And we give up God-given peace for a bowl of worry stew. We do it all the time, don't we? All right, let's talk about joy. Who did I say to read Romans 5 and verse 13? Go ahead and read that. Go ahead, Brother Steve. That's the wrong verse. Um... There we go. Five, read verses one and two. <laughs> and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When you receive justification from God at the point of salvation, you were given a free installment of joy. I know that because I've never once... In 34 years of life, I've never once seen someone accept Christ as their Savior and be grumpy about it. There is a supernatural joy implanted into the heart of a new believer. You can't argue that. It's unbelievable. Now, sometimes it wears off. But God gives you joy. He does. But the devil has a bowl of grumpy stew. He does. And he wants us to eat that bowl when we go to work. And he wants to eat that bowl when we go home with our wife and kids or our husband and our kids. He wants us to eat that bowl when we go and serve at church or we go worship at church. You know why? Because there's something about a cheerful countenance that just shines bright and encourages people. And you've been around those energizer bunnies, right? I'm not talking about they got a lot of physical energy. They're like the, they got a, a ton of, of positive energy just coming out of them. The joy of the Lord coming out of them. I mean, have you ever talked to Rick Potts at the wooden doors and he's been grumpy? If, if you have, man, record that. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I know Tammy has, but we've never seen it here. Would, would, you, would you hear me? God's people ought not ever to give up joy for anything. It's too valuable. And some would use this excuse, well, the devil stole my joy. I'm not quite sure the devil steals our joy. You study the, the birthright, and the birthright... Three things can be done in the birthright. It could be doubled, it could be transferred, or it could be given away. 
You can't steal it. Esau couldn't say, give me that birthright. It's not a piece of paper. You can't go steal it. There's no proof. It can only be devil transfer or given away. Jacob gave us away. I'm not sure the devil comes and rips joy from us. I think we give it away. Let's talk about this one, our testimony. Who has Matthew 5? Turn there in your Bible, Matthew 5 and verse number 16. Read that out loud. Very good. Let your light so shine before men. He was talking, Jesus was, to his disciples, saved individuals. Do you understand, at the moment of salvation, God turned the light on. You don't get a choice. He didn't say, if you want to be, you're the light of the world. He said, ye are the light of the world. Our only choice is how bright we glow. Okay, we don't have a choice. God turned the light on. Ye are the light of the world. Yet the devil has a bowl for every blessing God gives us. And you know what I traded my testimony in for so often? You ready for this? A temper tantrum. Something that made me feel good in the moment. But made me feel like a jerk five minutes later. Have I told you the subway story? I have, Pam. You're shaking your head. You're going to remember. Some of you, you're new members, so I'm going to tell the subway story again. It was 9.55 p.m. I looked on my app, and it said, our subway on, on Pancake over there doesn't close till 10 o'clock at this point. It's about a, I don't know, like a mile drive or something like that. I don't know how long it is from my house to subway. But I can get there before 10 o'clock. Pretty easy. And I was craving a six-inch sub. And so I got in my car, and I rushed over to Subway, and it was unlocked. And I walked into Subway, and I looked on the tomato clock, and it said it was 9.57. I got there quick. And I went up to the counter, and the lady wouldn't look up. It was me and her only. She couldn't have been distracted. She obviously is trying to send a message to me. All the vegetable trays were pulled out. You know what that means at Subway. We're done. I looked at the tomato clock again, and it's 9.58. We got two minutes, and the tomato clock doesn't lie. And so I said, ma'am, are you going to make me a sandwich? She said, we're closed. You know, a little bit snarky, and I was nice at that point. A and then it's like something turned on inside of me. And, and it, it was just this little temper tantrum I had. And I said, what do you mean you're done? I'm a customer. My app says you're open till 10, the door says you're open till 10, and the tomato clock says it's not 10. <laughs> and I should have my sandwich. And she said, I'm not making your sandwich. We're done. I'm getting these vegetables, getting everything cleaned out. I, I can't make any more sandwiches. I've already cashed out the door, these kind of things. And I said, let me have the, the, the card for your general manager. Oh, okay, I'll make you a sandwich. No, I don't want a sandwich now. If you make me a sandwich, you win. I'm going to walk out mad. Right? That's how we do it. So I walked out with the card in my hand, having been an utter fool. I got in the car, and I had about a mile uh, back home. And you know how sometimes the, the Holy Spirit, he does whisper to you, but at the same time, it's like he's screaming? <laughs> and he was screaming at me, what a jerk. What a jerk. You were so hungry that you're willing to give up a testimony for a six-inch sub. What if she comes to Fellowship Baptist Church and sees you in the pulpit? It's really not funny. 
What, what if she sees you trying to lead God's people in sincere, authentic, passionate worship? And she's like, isn't that, isn't, isn't that the guy who at 957 threw a temper tantrum? Because I already put the vegetables up. And you know what I did? I went back the next day, next night, a little earlier than 9.55. I wasn't even going to buy a sandwich. I walked in. I looked her in the eye. And I said, I'm going to be completely honest with you. She knew who I was in terms of last night. I said, I'm a pastor of a church right down the street. And how I acted last night was absolutely uncalled for, inappropriate, and not right. And you might never come to my church, and I would totally understand that, but accept my apology for being so childish and so foolish. I, I don't know if we'll ever reach that lady. I've never seen her come. I wouldn't blame her ever if she chose not to come. And I gave up my testimony for a temper tantrum. And we do, that, we do stuff like that all the time. Let me give you another one. Talents. God has given us all talents. Turn to Romans chapter 12. And verse 4. Y'all all right? Romans chapter 12. I think I gave this to Brother Gary. Is that right? Could you stand and read verses 4 through 8, Brother Gary, of Romans 12? Thank you, Brother Gary. God has given every one of us in this room a talent that can benefit the body of Christ. And they differ according to His grace. Some might have three or four, some might have one. And they might be different. But God has given you a talent and ability, and He puts His touch on that talent and ability when you get saved. And He activates that to be used for the good of people and the glory of God. But it's like the devil has a, has a bowl of selfishness. That he offers. And he says, you, ha you have a talent. You have a gift. But why don't you just put it on the shelf for your own thing? Now go use your talent and gifts out there in the community. But when you come to God's house, you, you just need to be fed. You, you don't need to be a blessing. You need to receive a blessing. So why don't you just put your talents on the shelf, whether that be teaching, whether that be a, a talent of encouragement. You could be a greeter. You, you, you could be uh, in the choir. You could, you could do a, a bus. You, you could do all kinds of things maybe that God has gifted you to do. But oftentimes we will take the devil's bull and we will say, ah, I'm going to kind of eat from this selfishness for a while. Okay, let's do this one. Turn to Psalms 90, verse 12. Another blessing that God's given every one of us is the blessing of time. Look at Psalms 90 and verse 12. Whoever I gave to that, would you stand and read it, please? Brother Bill. So, so this is a prayer of Moses. And he prays to God, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to know wisdom. In other words, here, here's what Moses is saying. If you want to make your days count, count your days. Do you hear me? 
If you want to make your days count, count your days. That's why in any competition, when you put a, a, a time limit, the intensity increases. You get what I'm saying? You go to the fourth quarter of a basketball game and it's, all, it's on. You take, you take the scoreboard out of a basketball game, it's just the first one to 11, it's not that intense. You get what I'm saying? You play chess without one of those timers, nah, it's, it, it's all good. You put one of those timers in the game of chess, it picks up. And Moses is saying, you need to keep your eye on the clock. You need to learn to count your days if you want to make your days count. God has given every one of us the gift of time. We all have the equal amount of it. But you know what the devil has a bowl of? Waste. He says, waste your time. Eat out of my bowl of waste. How do God's people waste their time in 2018? Watching TV. Playing video games. Social media. Social media. Social media. I'm not going to tell you ways I waste my time. I'm talking about you right now. <laughs> we all have time wasters in our life. Every one of us. Hobbies, recreation, all those things are beneficial. Reading, all those things. Social media can even be beneficial. I'm not, I'm not saying any of these things are wrong, but they've got to be in the right proportions. Let everything be done with moderation. And the devil has a bowl of waste to give you. When you only have 24 hours in a day and you have no idea how long you're going to live, your life is but a vapor, James says. Boast not thyself tomorrow. You don't even know what a day brings forth. Don't eat from a bowl of waste when God gives you the blessing of time. Okay, well, let's, let's do another one. Church family. God's giving you the blessing of a church family. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Whoever had that, stand and read that, would you? We're almost done. So now are they the many members, yet but one body. Verse now 27, are yeah. The body of Christ and members in particular. Very good. And, 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 thank you, Brother John. He said, verse 20, but now are they many members, yet but one body. If you look up at verse um, 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, and it hath pleased him. You understand you're in Fellowship Baptist Church because God placed you here. God led you here. God directed you here. And this isn't one of those situations where, 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 where you join up to sit down. You get what I'm saying? You join up to get involved, to fellowship, to provoke one another to good, to good works, to love, and to good works. You should have some of the deepest and genuine relationships should be with the fellow church members you go to church with. I believe that with all my heart. Ones that are hearing the same preaching, singing the same songs, believe the same doctrine, headed in the same direction, which is hopefully forward. But yet so, so many people, it's like they're in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And they wonder, I don't know why I don't have any friends there. You get what I'm saying? And, and, and we just, we, we aren't, we don't have any deep, authentic relationships with the church of where God has placed us. And that's not good. Let, let's talk about this gift, marriage. Turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Brother John Knudsen, I think I gave that one to you. Proverbs 18, verse 22. Whoso findeth a wife, come on, men, findeth a good thing, and all God's married men said, Amen. Amen. God gave you your marriage, He gave you your spouse. And if, if you're qualified for this point, listen closely. 
This is one of the greatest gifts you could have on this side of heaven. One of the greatest gifts. It's a good thing. You have found favor of the Lord if you have a spouse that loves you. You have found favor of the Lord. Doesn't mean you have and if you don't. Just means God's timing's not now. But for those of us that have a spouse, you understand that the devil has all kinds of bowls that he's holding out every day to try to get you to give up that relationship for something you want in the moment. Pornography? Something on a website? A girl at work? Guy at work? An old friend you meet on Facebook? No, the devil's always holding out bowls. And if you don't protect your marriage, you will, you, will, you will give it up for a bowl of beans if you're not careful. Somebody say amen. I could go on, but we give up Bible reading for more sleep. We give up prayer time with God to get more things done. We give up holiness for popularity. We give, we give, the, we give up the opportunity to give generously to the work of the Lord and missions around the world for something we want to buy right now. You know there are churches all around, our all around our country that are giving up Bible doctrine for a bigger crowd? I hope we never do that. I hope we never do that. We should be full of grace. We should, we should be full of love. We should preach the truth in love. But there are some things that the Bible says we ought to do and ought not to do. There are some, some things that we ought to stand on very strongly with love, but we ought to stand on very strongly. And we should never give up those things just so we can get more people in the door. Yet there are churches all over trading in Bible doctrine for a bigger crowd. I'm just trying to tell you tonight, refuse to give up what you want most for something you want right now. Can we close with this verse 34 of Genesis 25? Let me get back there. You're, you're going to miss this if you're not careful. So watch this. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. Watch here. He did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Look up here for a second. Did you see how quick that was? He ate, he drank, and he walked away. Here's the truth. You can have what you want in the moment, but it won't last. You ask the person, you ask the spouse who cheated on their, on their, on, on their husband or their wife. You ask them, was that temporary pleasure worth it? Nope, they ate, they drank, and they walked away. You hear me? You ask the drug addict who keeps going back to get the high. Is that worth it? No, he eats and he drinks and he walks away. What you want in the moment, the bowl of beans, it won't last. And here's what's sad. He gave up long-term spiritual blessings. Long-term spiritual blessings. Something that would have blessed his life and his children's life forever so that he could satisfy his belly in the moment. Surprisingly, that's not the last time you hear about him. We'll close with this verse that's on the screen. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Paul is, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, I'm not confident of that, but that would be my guess. And as he's writing, and, and he writes, okay, I need an example for a fornicator and a profane person. Who could I think of? Okay, and the Holy Spirit put on his heart, Esau. 
And here's what the Holy Spirit whispered. Here's why he qualifies Paul, because he sold his birthright for one morsel of meat. How would you like to be known for that? Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Here's why you need to keep from making stupid decisions the best you can. Stay full and beware of the bull. Here's why. Here's why. Because every decision you make will become a permanent part of your story. What about God's grace? It will forgive you every time. What about his love? It'll never leave you. It's from vanishing point to vanishing point, Prophet Jeremiah said. It's eternal. It's unending. Well, what about his mercy? It's new every morning. But you don't have whiteout. And you can't push the backspace button. And you can't get in a time machine and do things over. You will be marked by your decisions. The story you tell today is a result of the decisions you made yesterday. And yes, you're forgiven. And God sees you as righteous in Christ's eyes. As you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin. And he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. But it becomes part of your testimony. Yes. Part of your reputation. Part of your life. Be so very careful. Because for every blessing, the devil has a bull. Maybe there are some in here, and the whole time, you're fighting a battle between guilt and grace because you just can't stop thinking about some of the foolish trades you've already made. And in some of this preaching, it's like, oh, if he would stop pouring the salt in the wound, that's not my intention tonight. I'm trying to warn people for making those mistakes. I'm not trying to guilt people for making those mistakes. Would you hear me? God's mercy is new every morning. And if that's you and you've made some foolish trades and, you, and you've asked God to forgive you, forgive you for them, listen, they're under the blood. They are under the blood. You might suffer some consequences from those things, but here's the message for you. Don't make any more. Don't make any more. Make good decisions by staying full of the right things and staying warned of the 